Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of man's brokenness made whole. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit or literally a crushed in spirit. As you see your brokenness before God, you see your sin before God, you see the judgment that should fall upon you and you call upon Him and repent, you're revived. You're revived in that obedience. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With baseball season now in full swing, there's nothing more exciting to see than the trailing team return in the final inning with renewed purpose and vigor. What gives them the desire to come back from a deficit to win the game? It's simple. In the dugout, their manager reminded them of their purpose. And that's precisely the definition of revival. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back into the spiritual locker room and reminds us of our purpose and position in Christ. Let's join him for today's encouraging Simple Truth study titled, A Call to Revive. Throughout the church age, there have been tremendous revivals, beginning with the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Men such as Wesley, Finney, Billy Sunday, Moody are but a few who were used by God mightily as he brought revival through them. It has been said that a call to revive is an awakening of dead and nominal Christianity by the Holy Spirit. It can affect one person only, a group of people, a congregation, a city, a nation, or the world. It is a sovereign work of God's Spirit. 2 Chronicles 34.4 says this. In the eighth year of Josiah's reign, while he was still young, he began to see God in his father, of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. And he prayed, read the word, and proceeded to obey once again. A great revival broke out, as you know. In our call to revive, God is concerned with awakening us from our sleepy state by his Holy Spirit. In view of this, we want to look at Nehemiah's call to revive, which provides for us three characteristics of revival among the people of God. And as you will see, revival is always for the people of God. Not what you usually see in revival tonight, a tent, people getting saved. Revival for the people of God from the biblical definition. And so these are the three characteristics of revival among the people of God. In chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, revival will be preceded by a study of the word which will result in a brokenness of heart. That's the first characteristic. Secondly, in Nehemiah 9, verse 5, down to 35, revival will be preceded by fervent prayer, which will result in recognition of the true nature of God and man. And then thirdly, we'll finish 
with chapter 9, verse 38, and then 10, 28 through 39. Revival will proceed into a renewed commitment in obedience. So let's begin here with chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Revival will be preceded by a study of the word, which will result in a brokenness of heart. Listen what he says. Now in the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fastings and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israel, or the Israelite lineage, separate themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now remember that they had all gathered at the water gate to read from morning till midday, including the heads of their fathers, the priests, and the Levites, as they gathered to Ezra in order to understand the word of God in chapter 8. Now notice here, first of all, that it's brokenness of heart is evident by self-denial. This is the first thing that we're seeing here. It says there, beginning in verse 1, that there was a visible mark of sincere sorrow through fasting and sackcloth and dust on their head. The date was the 24th day of the seventh month, October. October the 1st, the word of God was taught now on the Feast of Trumpets. October the 10th was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And October 15th to 22nd is the Feast of Harvest. This is the holy month that's going on. October 23rd was the following day. 23 days had passed since they had read and understood the word of God. This revival was directly related to the study of the word of God. Don't miss the connection between this and chapter 8. Now, fasting is a denial of the body, as you know. But it should not be seen as a denying of oneself only, but rather a desire to seek and to hear from God out of a brokenness and love for God. I am driven to seek God. This is what fasting is about because you're so concerned about hearing God because the word of God has spoken to you, has become alive. Sackcloth is a self-afflicting of the body, a discomfort of the body, but it's not just that. It's evidence of true repentance and penance in the Old Testament. Demonstrating to God your affliction, your brokenness, but not simply to cause pain. Dust on the head was an expression of one's vileness, lowliness. There is a caution without or here with the practices of fasting and that. And that is that the caution is to outward visible marks of self-denial. Religions do this all the time. Now, they of themselves are no evidence of true repentance because you afflict yourself, because you humble yourself. And that is not 
the true evidence outward physically that you have repented. They can only be verified as genuine through the process of time. Time will reveal whether your, your affliction, your humility is genuine. But notice, secondly, in verse 2, their brokenness of heart is evident by a separation from what the Word had revealed to be sinful. The lineage of Israel or seed separate themselves from all foreigners, from intimate relationships such as marriage, from social interaction and commerce that would defile them as the law had prohibited, that which would draw them away from God. Notice still there in verse 2, the obvious implication was that they separate themselves to God once again. Very important. The Word of God tells you something. It convicts you. You obey it. You're revived in that obedience. Now notice also brokenness of heart is evident by confession of sins then. That's what follows. They stood and they confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. They included themselves, don't miss it, and they did not blame it on their fathers. The greatest failure of our society today, they want to blame everybody for their messed up life. Your life is the sum total of every decision you made before Christ. And your life in Christ now is the sum total of every decision you make every day. It is your life. It is your responsibility. God will hold you responsible for it. No one else. So we come up with nifty little phrases like dysfunctional family, codependent, enabler. It's not my fault. Well, yes, it is. It is your fault. We don't deny that there are victims and innocent people. But you always have a choice whether to be like those who were bad examples or those who were good examples. You have a choice in life. They acknowledge their sins there in verse 2. They confess their sins. Remember, it is all due to the word of God. Having been taught the beginning of chapter 8. Now look at verse 3. Brokenness of heart is evident by continuous study of God's word. They read the word for one-fourth of the day. This consists of three-hour divisions of the 12-hour day. The word of God revealed the will of God, which resulted in conviction. The conviction resulted in confession of their sins. Three hours were devoted to the confession of sins and worship of God. Not something flipping, oh yeah, Lord, forgive me, and praise God. Little hallelujah chorus. <laughs> I mean, they're seeing their wretchedness. They're, they're being convicted. The word of God is turning their heart back to them. To go, Lord. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit or literally a crushed in spirit as you see your brokenness before God you see your your sin before God you see the judgment that should fall upon you and you call upon him and repent you're revived newspaper men went down from London to report the first hymn the marvelous happenings of the great Welsh 
revival at the turn of the century. On their arrival in Wales, one of them asked a policeman where the Welsh revival was. Drawing himself to a full height, he laid his hand over his heart and proudly proclaimed, Gentlemen, the Welsh revival is inside this uniform. You see, he had caught the holy fire due to the word resulting in brokenness of heart. The word of God. Now, though the study of God's word must proceed in order for revival to take place, as in all historic revivals, it doesn't guarantee that it will happen. Revival is a sovereign move of God's spirit. We don't force God to do anything. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God. Again, the context is the mystery of God regarding the restoration of Israel despite her future apostasy, but the principle is applicable. God is sovereign. He knows why, when, where. If he acts, he can make no mistake. Revival is a gift from God. Not a work of man. Revival is distinct from evangelism, by the way. Evangelism should be going on all the time, by and through my life, to anybody I can. As a church, doing outreach is wherever God opens the door. But evangelism is not revival. But when revival comes by God's sovereign hand, and the people of God revive, the overflow of revival is the reaching out to the lost and great salvation to many. Nineveh is the greatest miracle in the Bible because those that were saved were non-believers. They weren't the people of God. God was trying to revive Jonah <laughs> and he saved all of them. But that wasn't revival. Jonah still wasn't revived. The late Dr. J. Edwin Orr, and I had the privilege to hear him on revival, the greatest authority on revival said this, an evangelical awakening is a movement of the Holy Spirit in the church of Christ bringing about a revival of New Testament Christianity. He stated it can affect one person, a group, a congregation, a city, a nation, the world, to revive the believer, then it results in the conversion of sinners to God. So never confuse evangelism with revival. It's always the reverse. Revival leads to evangelism. Evangelism does not lead to revival. Never. So revival will be preceded by a study of the word which will result in brokenness of heart. Secondly, verse 5 down to 35 of chapter 9 here, revival will be preceded by fervent prayer, which will result in the recognition of the true nature of God and man. It says, in the Levites, Joshua, Camille, Benin, Heshanabiah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shibaniah, and Jephahiah was there, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God, 
forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all its, their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. The recognition of the goodness of God through prayer. God created his goodness to create and preserve his creation in verse 5 and 6. Notice his Levites commanded the people to stand and bless the Lord Yahweh forever. His name is to be blessed. The name is above all blessing and praise. In his creation, everything is worshiping him. Did Jesus not say these very stones would cry out if you were silent? God's goodness to choose and to make covenant here and to give Abraham a land. Look at 7 and 8. It's through prayer. You are the Lord God who chose Abram. And brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. You made a covenant with him to give him the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. His goodness to make a covenant with Abraham. Abraham did not make a covenant with him. God initiated. Abraham responded. So we see the prayer preceding here for revival. Recognition of God's nature. In verse 15, or 9 through 15, God's goodness to redeem, deliver, and guide, and provide for them. Notice there, you saw the affliction of your fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all the servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourselves as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. So much for the theory that they walked across a sea of reeds, the sea of reeds of three feet deep of water. It says dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloud of pillar and the night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbaths and commanded them precepts, statutes, laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Look at verse 21. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. God's goodness to redeem, to deliver, to guide, to provide for them. This is all through prayer. The word of God. God's goodness to teach Israel by his spirit and give them a land and its riches. Look at verse 20. 
you also gave your good spirit to instruct them, the spirit of God, to Moses, to Joshua, to the prophets, to David, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Look at 22 down to 25. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possessions of the land of Sihon, the land of the kings of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Basham. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and to possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wish. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards and groves, and fruit trees in the abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. The study of the word of God reminds them of their history, of the goodness of God, his faithfulness. God's goodness to be merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abundance in kindness is also brought up. Look at verse 17. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in the rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Look at 19. Yet in your mindful mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way they should go. Go down to 30. He says, yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land, Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Now therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not at all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people from the day of the kings of Assyria until this day their past history their rebellion but God's graciousness his mercifulness Psalm 34 8 says oh taste and see that the Lord is good blessed the man who trusts in him as we acknowledge our error we turn to him he is faithful he is merciful it's through prayer that they're coming to this understanding that's bringing them alive in the relationship Are you ready for God to move in your life? Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the spirit of revival. And did you know you can hear this message again anytime online? 
Simply select today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And be sure you join Pastor Xavier for the conclusion of this important study coming right here next time as well. But if you can't tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths, you can ask for a complete copy of this message. And the title to request is A Call to Revive. Ask for your copy on CD for just $4. And be sure to encourage someone in your church or Bible study with this empowering lesson as well. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Revive. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you mention the call letters of this station in all your correspondence. This helps us measure the effectiveness of this ministry. Do you want to start a revival? Learn how when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com